An upset in Pennsylvania's special election looms large. But is that race a referendum on President Trump? Well, the White House insists no. And who will be the next member of Trump's cabinet to get kicked to the curb? This and more on the State of America Tonight. It took a little longer than we thought, but we did it. You know, we're still fighting the fight. It's not over yet. The special House election is too close to call. This election, I believe, was really more about the national political environment. Both of these candidates, the Republican and the Democrat, ran as conservatives. President Trump announced he'll nominate the first woman to serve as director of the Central Intelligence Agency. I find it just amazing that anyone would consider having this woman at the head of the CIA. We will accept nothing less than comprehensive gun control. Hello, I'm John Avalon, live in New York, and this is The State of America Tonight. The political waiting game is in full swing this Wednesday as a special election goes down to the wire and members of President Trump's cabinet wonder if they're going to join Rex Tillerson on the chopping block. More on the palace intrigue in a moment, but first, Pennsylvania, where Democrat Connor Lamb is poised to drive a stake right through the heart of Trump country. He's clinging to a 627-vote lead over Republican rival Rick Saccone after running on a platform that backed gun rights and the president's tariff plan. Lamb is a federal prosecutor and former Marine, and he admits that his centrist profile was a plus for voters across the aisle. I was at a lot of polling places yesterday with uh, cars parked outside of them that had President Trump's bumper sticker on them. So he's a popular person here. But uh, I think that what happens when you campaign in real life as much as possible is that those divisions go away. Uh, Everyone gave me a fair shake. And I know that there are people that, that voted for the president who also voted for me. Now, for his part, House Speaker Paul Ryan downplayed the results and seemed to take a jab at Connor Lamb's political approach. They didn't have a primary. They were able to pick a candidate who could run as a conservative. You will have primaries in all these other races, and the primaries bring, bring them to the left. So I just don't think that this is something they're going to be able to see a repeat of. At least that's what Ryan said publicly. But in private, sources tell CNN that he is warning his fellow Republicans to step it up and not take anything for granted. Charlie Dent, a retiring Republican moderate congressman from Pennsylvania, definitely agrees. I think most Republicans realize we're running into a very serious headwind, uh, hurricane force wind. It's, it's coming uh, and uh, we have to be ready for it. That would be Hurricane Trump. And Dent offered this piece of advice to members of his party. As you're a Republican running in this election cycle, you better be able to develop your own brand and sell yourself, uh, because if you just simply going to try to run on, the, you know, say the president's coattails or the, uh, or the, uh, or the national environment, you're you're going to you could get swept up and swept out. But sources close to the White House insist that this race was not about President Trump, and as those sources try to put some distance between the president and Pennsylvania, Mr. Trump is trying to put some distance between himself and some staffers he thinks aren't quite up to the job. Now remember this promise from the campaign. What would your cabinet look like in terms of personnel and cabinet positions? Well, they'd be professional people. I mean, they'd be good people. With the cabinet, we're going to have all the best people. All the best people. Well, seems like that was a little easier said than done. And no, I'm not talking about Rex Tillerson. That was so 24 hours ago. I'm talking about two other officials who could be on their way out. Veterans Affairs Secretary David Shulkin and the widely respected National Security Advisor 
General H.R. McMaster. An official tells CNN that the president wants to get rid of, quote, dead weight after recently complaining that his cabinet hasn't quite lived up to his expectations. For one man who served in President Obama's cabinet, the trend is troubling. When a secretary leaves and a new secretary comes in who has to be confirmed by the Senate, basically everything at the senior most levels of that department stops and it's paralyzed. I'm very concerned about basically the stability of our U.S. government with so much turnover at the White House and now at the cabinet departments. But there's one person who seems to have some job security, at least for today, and his name is Larry Kudlow. He's an apostle for Reaganomics and a host on the CNBC TV network. And soon he will also be able to call himself President Trump's economic advisor. That is, of course, until he's not. Or as we like to say here at State of America, stay tuned. Lots to talk about, so let's get to our panel tonight. Democratic strategist Michael Morey, he's former communications director for Senator Chuck Schumer. Republican strategist and pollster Kirsten Soltis Anderson, also a columnist for The Washington Examiner. CNN political analyst Jackie Kucinich, Washington bureau chief of The Daily Beast, a site of which I'm familiar. And talk radio host and Donald Trump supporter John Phillips, it's great to have you all here. Let's talk a little palace intrigue because there's substance beneath all this spin. Uh, The Trump team seems to be taking a decidedly nationalist turn. All the so-called access of adults seem under siege. John Phillips, is this really a good thing for the country or is it just about a play to the base? Well, I I think it's not surprising, first and foremost. This is a guy who made his name firing people on TV. So Donald Trump firing a cabinet secretary is about as shocking as Guy Fieri eating a burger. He's a guy who came from outside the political world, so he doesn't have a bunch of people who work for him as governor or U.S. senator who he could then bring into the White House. So a lot of these are marriages of convenience. So uh, I'm not surprised to see uh, all of this turnover. It is high turnover, and I suspect we'll probably see more of it. It is historically high turnover. But we kind of hope that the White House would function better than, I don't know, Guy Fieri's restaurant in Times Square, because that's sort of where we're headed right now. Um, It it does seem like a lot of these cabinet officials, I mean, the the turmoil that went into Tillerson, I know it's so 24 hours ago, but he fired him uh, via a tweet. Um, it's not yeah. just Americans who are watching something like that. It's also uh, it's also abroad. Someone asked how it profiles a secretary of state. So that, that's you know, that is a fair point. There is tough talk from the president, but he apparently prefers to fire via tweet. Uh, that's not as the personal touch we came to expect on reality TV. But let's talk about how the president's politics are playing in Pennsylvania. That is the big news today. And, Michael, I want to talk to you about the message for Democrats, because your former boss, Chuck Schumer, famously ran with Rahm Emanuel the 06 playbook that won the Democrats back Congress. Uh, Connor Lamb is the kind of candidate who is not going to make the Bernie Sanders crowd happy, but he fits the district. Is that a message to calm the Democratic civil war? Well, if you look at what happened there, I think the most intriguing thing about the entire election uh, in western Pennsylvania is the fact that you still had a highly energized Democratic base uh, at the same time in which you had a candidate who was allowed to actually and decided actually to run in his district. So the notion that somehow uh, you can't run a local campaign as a local candidate while sort of keeping the momentum in the activism that exists within the Democratic base right now was proven wrong. And so when a candidate's allowed to actually get out out there, sort of run outside of Washington. He sort of did what Donald Trump claimed he was going to do, which was sort of be some sort of creature that's not from Washington. And in fact, over the course of the last 
year, what we've seen and what the public has seen is that, you know, they were sold a bill of goods from Donald Trump that never came true. Um, and here you have a candidate in Western Pennsylvania right. who talked about local issues that mattered to local people. All right. I'm going to want you to hold that thought. We've got to go elected. live to the United Nations where Nikki Haley speaking right now. Hold that thought. The threat from Syria's chemical weapons program. When the Security Council created a mechanism to investigate chemical weapons attacks, that mechanism was targeted when it began to shine a spotlight on Assad's role in killing his own people. A growing concern in all of this dangerous and destabilizing activity is Russia. Russia failed to ensure Syria destroyed its chemical weapons program. Russia killed the joint investigative mechanism when it found Assad liable for chemical attacks. Russia used its veto to shield Assad five times last year. It has also provided cover for Syria in The Hague at the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. The Russians complained recently that we criticized them too much. If the Russian government Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. The Russians complained recently that we criticized them too much. If the Russian government stopped using chemical weapons to assassinate its enemies, and if the Russian government stopped helping its Syrian ally to use chemical weapons to kill Syrian children, and if Russia cooperated with the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons by turning over all information related to this nerve agent, we would stop talking about them. We take no pleasure in having to constantly criticize Russia, but we need Russia to stop giving us so many reasons to do so. Russia must fully cooperate with the UK's investigation and come clean about its own chemical weapons program. Russia is a permanent member of the Security Council. It is entrusted in the United Nations Charter with upholding international peace and security. It must account for its actions. If we don't take immediate concrete measures to address this now, Salisbury will not be the last place we see chemical weapons used. They could be used here in New York or in cities or of any country that sits on this council. This is a defining moment. Time and time again, member states say they oppose the use of chemical weapons under any circumstance. Now one member stands accused of using chemical weapons on the sovereign soil of another member. The credibility of this council will not survive if we fail to hold Russia accountable. Thank you. I thank the representative of the United States for her statement. I now give the floor to the representative of France. Monsieur le Président, je remercie le Royaume-Uni d'avoir pris l'initiative de cette réunion importante, comme je le remercie pour les éléments d'information fournis sur la situation. We're going to continue to monitor this fascinating show down at the UN Security Council, but now we're going to bring in Senator Angus King of Maine, a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Senator King. So I think we're okay. All right. We're going to go back to the panel. We're going to get to the senator in just a second. Uh, panel, that is an extraordinary statement. That was the clear voice we were waiting to hear from the Trump administration condemning Russia for its complicity or more than complicity in this attack on British soil.
Nikki Haley seems to be presenting this backbone of the administration. Uh, Kristen Soltis Anderson, is that the clear voice that's been lacking? And why does it take the U.N. rep to give it rather than anyone from the White House? Well, Nikki Haley has consistently been a tough voice on Russia, and this has raised questions at times. Is she speaking for Donald Trump? Is she speaking for Mm -hmm. the Trump administration? She's speaking for the United States in this capacity, and I think it's very important and very heartening to see her taking on this role, to, to make no bones about it, to be unambiguous in what she said. And this is not something new for her. This has been the position and the posture that she has held since taking this this uh, this office. You know, we talked about is the Trump cabinet like a guy? Fieri restaurant. I think Nikki Haley has consistently from day one been an amazing bright spot in in an otherwise turbulent administration where there have not always been bright spots. Uh, And I think that that what we just saw is a a perfect example of her being something positive that is coming out of the Trump administration. A fascinating, clear statement. Panel, stand by. I'm going to bring back Senator Angus King of Maine is with me now. Senator King, did you just hear Nikki Haley's condemnation of Russia in the British attack? I did. I did. I heard it. It was very clear and uh, convincing and I think important. I think it was an important statement by the administration. Although I have to tell you, perhaps because of the work that I'm doing here, I notice, uh, at least as far as what I heard, she didn't mention anything about uh, the attack on our democracy or the interference in our electoral process, which is uh, also uh, significant, uh, dangerous, uh, and important to our country. Well, let, uh, let's go. But there. I'll, I'll take what I can get. I mean, I think she took, she made a strong statement. But I wish she had give a slightly broader list of what uh, Russia is uh, pulling off around the world. Well, Senator, to that point, you've been on the, the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, and announced a few weeks ago that soon you'd be releasing a report on Russia's attempt to influence and infiltrate our election systems. You've also seen your colleagues in the House, the Republican House Intelligence Committee, release a report saying not only was there no collusion, but they came to the conclusion that the intelligence community was wrong and that Vladimir Putin did not try to influence the election for Donald Trump's benefit. Your comments on that? Well, I don't see how they uh, reached that conclusion. If they did, I don't see how they read the same intelligence uh, materials that I read. And by the way, Trey Gowdy, a prominent Republican member of the House, reached uh, the same conclusion that I just stated. He disagrees uh, with where the committee went. I I think they, uh, I I don't really understand it, frankly. there is absolutely no question, A, that the Russians involved themselves in our election, and B, uh, that they were trying to harm Hillary Clinton and help Donald Trump. I mean, that's just, uh, that's uh, pretty obvious from, from the material. It was the unanimous conclusion of the uh, intelligence community back in January, and if anything, evidence presented since then has only strengthened their, that conclusion. So, you know, like I say, I, I don't know what they were reading that we're not that would lead them uh, to, to miss what I think is... Uh, a very important part of the story. The collusion issue well, is still open. I understand that. But uh, uh, the, the, uh, the other conclusion that uh, they weren't, the Russians weren't trying to tilt the scales in the election just uh, doesn't pass the straight face test, in my view. Do you have an update on the timeline for that report from your committee about detailing the Russian incursions into America's electoral system, allegedly 21 states? Well, I think the plan now is we're going to be releasing our, our reports in, in a series, and the first one will be uh, hopefully in the next several weeks. We have a public hearing scheduled, I believe, next week on the 
the Russian involvement in state election systems. That's a significant part of this story that often gets lost. And we'll be also releasing recommendations to the states and the municipalities about how to deal and protect themselves uh, from this kind of incursion in the future, because the Russians aren't going away. I mean, this was not a one-off deal uh, in this past election, 2016. They're going to be there in 18 and, and 20. So the first step is going to be uh, inter uh, interference and, and uh, involvement in state elections and, and municipal election systems, voter registration, that kind of thing. The next Senator. phase will be the, the Russian piece of the hacking. Third phase will be social media. The final piece uh, will be the question of collusion. Well, final question for you, because it's very timely. President Trump's CIA nominee, you as a senator had advocated releasing the so-called torture memo, uh, in which some of her actions were what kicked that off. I wonder what you have any reservations about this nomination, what questions you're expecting to ask, and whether you have any insight in how you plan to vote on her confirmation. Well, I don't, I don't, can't, I can't provide an insight on how I plan to vote because I haven't heard all the evidence, but I definitely am going to have some questions. I am very concerned. She was in charge of one of these so-called black sites where uh, the torture, uh, uh, they call it uh, uh, extreme uh, detention uh, and, and examination. It was torture where that took place. And most disturbingly, there was a tape of one of these sessions that was deliberately destroyed uh, under her watch, and I want to know exactly what her involvement was uh, in that decision because uh, that was very troubling. I read that report, the, uh, the, the executive summary of 500 pages. It was extremely disturbing. On the other hand, she's a professional. She's been there 30 years. She's very highly thought of by people in the intelligence community. So uh, basically, I'm going to try to listen to the evidence. I'll meet with her, I'm sure. She'll appear before our committee. But uh, for me, I want her to look me in the eye and say, I made a mistake, and this is not going to happen again, and I'm going to follow the law, which now is torture is not something Americans do. Senator Angus King, thank you. Thank you, John. All right, we've got a busy day here on State of America coming up. The revolving door at the White House. Who's in the Trump administration? Who's out? And who's next? The panel returns. Stay with us. I turn on the TV, open the newspapers, and I see stories of chaos. Chaos. Yet, it is the exact opposite. This administration is running like a fine-tuned machine. A fine-tuned machine. That was President Trump in February of last year talking about his administration. You know how they say a week's a long time in politics? Well, oh, what a year it has been. Just take a look at some of the departures from his team. There are 19 faces on your screen right now, and it's not even close to the complete list. And today, there are new signs that the president is on the verge of firing more of his officials soon, in a purge that one source calls getting rid of dead weight. Let's get back to the panel. John Phillips, I want you to make your best case that firing or overhauling your almost entire White House team in the first year and change is a sign of management skill. Good luck. 
Well, it's certainly his management style, which is that uh, he's at the top of the pyramid and the people below him have loyalty to him and don't particularly care much for one another. And when you do that, sometimes blood is going to be drawn and you're going to have turnover. That being said, I think the palace intrigue is something that we in the media care a whole lot about. But I don't think people who voted for him particularly care about this. From their perspective, they got the tax bill through. They got Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. It looks like we're having progress with North Korea and we could have some uh, some real good news coming out of the Korean peninsula. And if the border wall goes up and uh, good news continues to flow, I think he's in good shape. It's all sunshine and light from John Phillips there. But Jackie Kucinich, I can depend on a different perspective from you. Um, here's my question. Uh, Tillerson and Mattis and McMaster and Kelly, these were the so-called axis of adults who were containing the president, putting everything through a uh, national security prism and really keeping things in check, or at least that was the narrative. Now, Tillerson's out. McMaster may be on shaky ground and Kelly, too. What does that mean for the administration and the country? I don't think we know yet, but I do. I'm sorry, John. I really don't mean to pick on you, but he was talking about uh, loyalty to the president. Well, when you're a cabinet official, you also ultimately have a loyalty to the Constitution and to the country over the president. So that that in and of itself is a different way this administration is running than maybe some others. This isn't a team of rivals. The president seems to be looking, uh, quite frankly, for a team of sycophants. And that's one of the things you haven't seen with some of the folks that you just named. Uh, Tillerson, and uh, McMaster's have disagreed with the president on several foreign policy matters. Kelly has gotten himself in trouble by correcting the president in public um, and in the and in the press. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the fact that the president is chafing at any sort of correction, um, you know, it should. Um, is a little disturbing because you want to, you would think as an American citizen, you'd want the president, if someone thinks that he is going about it the wrong way, to accept some critical advice. All right. But, Maury, let me ask you this. Uh, You worked for Chuck Schumer. Again, Schumer in 06 really did a good job of broadening the Democrats' message. But the fact is that Donald Trump was able to make crucial inroads into white working class voters in the Midwest who Democrats are going to need to win back. And to John Phillips's point, they're paying attention to the economy. They're seeing a tough talker in the White House who maybe they think tells it like it is. And the Democrats have a really weak bench. So what's the message? What's the policy position that's going to counteract that blunt populist appeal from the president. The message to Donald Trump is the jig is up. So for a year, I mean to this and for your entire campaign, well, 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 for the entire year and for his entire campaign, he sort of made this case that he was sort of the everyman. He was looking out for the every woman, the every man, the forgotten people of America. In the course of a year, what has America seen? America has seen a president and a Congress that has been nothing but pliant for the special interests, a cabinet that time and time again gets exposed for excess spending on things like first-class flights, really rich and extravagant tables, phone booths, trips to go watch an eclipse. I mean, the American public have sort of were sold a bill of goods. They gave him a shot. And what they've seen is, you know what? This guy really isn't for us. This guy actually isn't looking out for our best interest. And that's what you saw happen in Western Pennsylvania. And that's what you're going to see. Donald I, Trump has actually get, done our job for us over the course I of the last totally year. I totally appreciate that's your point. But I'm going to stick with you for a second because that's definitely the Democratic script. But that not necessarily going to resonate with his voters. So I'm going to ask it again in a slightly different way. What can Democrats do to win back the Trump voters, those Midwest working class voters who Connor Lamb appealed to, not by attacking Trump, but by feeling their pain and connecting with well, them genuinely? 
Sure. I mean, that's uh, that's that's the root of it. And that's what Connor Lamb did, which was say, look, Americans are hurting. Tax policy that benefits the top isn't going to help working class Rust Belt Democrats who were intrigued by Donald Trump and gave him a shot. And what Connor Lamb did was send a message both to them and to the party to say, hey, look, we can't keep running on sort of these super national issues that are irrelevant to the average day to day lives of most Americans. That's what he did in Western Pennsylvania. That's the message that's been sent. And that's the folks who went for Donald Trump last year. These are the folks that we're going to bring back home. And I think Connor Lamb has shown that it can be done. Go local. That's the message. Christian Soltis-Anderson, you have devoted a lot of your career and work to helping Republicans to uh, connect to a new generation. But Donald Trump, with these new moves, by and large, seems like he is doubling down on his nationalist base, that populist conservative instinct that got him elected. But it's not about bridging beyond that base, per se. You saw, crucially, in Pennsylvania, the libertarian candidate got 6 percent. That or may have gotten as much as 6 percent. That's the margin right there. What does that tell you about Trump and the ability to build anything resembling a new broad coalition that can connect with millennial voters? Donald Trump is going to have a very hard time winning over the large swath of the millennial generation that has turned away from his presidency. Bear in mind that right now the economy in the United States is doing fairly well. Millennials don't necessarily feel like they've shared in all of that prosperity, but this is a moment of relative peace and prosperity, and millennials are already pretty turned off to Trump. I think there are huge opportunities for Republican candidates to speak to my generation about markets and deregulation and and all sorts of things, but by focusing Focusing on cultural issues and a need to kind of um, make sure that we're, you know, that, that we're pushing back against economic technological change that has led to a lot of good in America. That's where I think Trump just misses the boat when it comes to trying to, to speak to my generation. All right. And that's Christian Saul Sanderson with the last word. Thank you, everyone on the panel. Great conversation. This is day 419 of President Trump's administration. And that is the state of America tonight. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Take care.